Welcome back, everybody, to the Prescriber Truth Podcast right here on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash prescribe truth. I'm your host, Jamal Bandy. Um, please excuse me as um, I'm having some throat trouble. So um, I've been trying to take care of it. So sound scratchy, that's why. And so I apologize for those who's listening on your podcast apps for the sound. Hope it don't sound too ghastly. Um, but anywho, we're going to continue. So anywho. Uh, if you want to contact me, you can do so at prescribe.truth at gmail.com or you can call in at 801-980-6333. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can do so by partnering with us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribe true. Uh, we have different award tiers starting from a dollar and up. And speaking of that, I want to announce a brand new patron, Mr. Nathan Peterson, who's a, who donated uh, into the $20 rank. Um, and a $20 tier, a patron, thank you so much for your contribution, man. I greatly appreciate it. You too can do the same as well if you feel led to do so. I greatly appreciate it. If you're not able to, I appreciate your prayers either way. Um, for those who listen to this on your podcast apps, please, please remember to leave a rating and a review as this helps the show. And if you happen to be listening to this show for your first time on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel if you find this uh, information useful. And hit that notification bell on the side so you can be notified when I have new content. All right. So as we continue on along this trend of trying to find simple ways to learn how to study the Bible, uh, we talked about uh, last week about understanding who, what, and when. Uh, that's about dealing with uh, the text. We looked at uh, Psalm 23, a very popular psalm, and we kind of just broke that down. Uh, saw who the author was and what he was talking about, who the audience is, and so on and so forth. All those important things that we should keep in mind when we're reading any particular text of Scripture, always. So today we're going to talk about another yet important thing, and that's dealing with the underlying original languages, the underlying Hebrew and the underlying Greek when concerning reading the Bible. The reason why that's so important is that when you're reading the text, sometimes um, the Hebrew and the Greek is not translated as perfectly into the English as we would like it to be. I mean, it's close, but it's not as perfect. And that's why we have to be able to go back to the original languages and look at what those words actually mean in any given context. One thing to remember that when it comes to Hebrew and Greek, words mean what they mean in their context. Okay? We're going to look at a couple of texts of Scripture. Try to uh, look through this. I'm going to try my best not to be long. Like I said, my throat is not feeling pretty good. So I want to be kind of quick with this. So uh, first thing we're going to look at is dealing with um, a t-shirt I made. This is kind of going to segue into it. And so this is not a, but it is sort of like a plug. I sell t-shirts. In case you didn't know. Got merchandise. The link is in the description. Cool. Cool. Well, based on a t-shirt I um, made recently, or I had made recently, um, this is the image. I'm going to show it to you. It says, hold up. I was created before you, and you can't hardly see it, but it's a scripture um, underlined up under that saying Genesis 2. And so this t-shirt, uh, something I came up with, and I had um, uh, my brother uh, Genesis uh, at uh, Genesis Pro Designs. Um, he designed it. You can look him up on Facebook. Um, he's, easy, he's easy to get in contact with. You know what I'm but he did this design for me. I had the concept when I was looking online concerning evolution. I was like, man, I want to do a design where it's like when it get to the man, he turns around and be like, you know, I was made before you. And um, it sparked some conversation between he and I from the beginning. 
And um, he was like, hey, man, like, how do you, like, how do you get that man was made before the animals? And I was like, good question. Because, I mean, it's in the scriptures from what I see. And, um, but it's, it's not as often taught. And so, cool. So, I, you know, I began to explain to him my reasoning. Now, if you want to hear that reasoning, I have a couple of videos on the channel dealing with this um, in my basic Bible studies. Well, not basic Bible studies, but my quick Bible studies um, dealing with Genesis 2 and portion of Genesis 1. And I'll put those, I'll put those videos up above somewhere where you can see it. Uh, you can click on it and take a look at it. Those are very short. They're like five to six minutes long. So it's not very long. But I do make my case in those videos. And I'm, we're going to look at it more in depth here as we look at why it's important to understand the Hebrew and the Greek. The reason why I want to use Genesis 2 in this example is because Nathan, Mr. Peterson, he shared with me an article with a guy who made an argument for a man still being created on the sixth day after the animals. And so... Um, and he basically gave some saying that the word for vegetation in Genesis 1 on the third day where God caused um, all the vegetation to sprout and then vegetation in chapter 2 with two different Hebrew words. And so therefore, the one in chapter 2 is talking about vegetation used for gardening and Genesis 1 is talking about everything else, grass and all that kind of stuff and other plants. And so I looked into that and I saw... No, I mean, Genesis 1, Genesis 2 both use vegetation. So we'll look at that. And if we have time, we'll also take a look at Matthew 28, looking at where Jesus says, uh, Go therefore and make disciples of every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that, and you know, because that's very important uh, as we understand how we see things in English and we can assume things on a text that's not really the case because we don't know the underlying Hebrew or the Greek in this sense. All right, so with no further ado, let's go to our trusty eSword app. And we're right here at Genesis 1.11. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my best not to be long through here. So just bear with me as we try to walk through it. It says, and God said that the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, each according to its kind, not one kind, and we're going to hold off until later on. God did each according to its kind, each plant according to its kind, each vegetation according to its kind, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. So now verse 11 says, God said, let there be, right? Verse 12 says, it happened. So the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the context. Now we're, going, we're not going to look at the Hebrew right now. We're just going to read the plain English. All right, so in the plain English, we see on the third day, well, let's see. Well, that was verse 12. So verse 13 lets us know. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. All this was done on the third day. Okay. And so that's that. All right. Um, see here. Let's look at chapter 2 real quick. And what you're saying off to the side here is the Hebrew, in case you didn't know. But, you know, that's that. 
Now, one thing we got to look at too also when we understand the Bible, how to read the Bible, is that the Bible was originally written without any chapters or verses. The chapters of verses are a modern invention used for reference. That's what it's there for. Um, chapter one, uh, let's look at it real quick. I know, it's, sorry, going this tangent, but I gotta, I gotta share this. So chapter one ends at verse thirty-one, but that doesn't mean that that thought was over at verse thirty-one. It doesn't mean that. So you'll see, all, especially when you read the New Testament, you'll see that whole dialogues are going on even though they go into the next chapter. They're not starting new thoughts. They're going into the next thing and sometimes still continuing. And so it's important to uh, remember and keep in mind the Bible, the, the scriptures were not written with chapters and verses. Okay? Please remember that. That's going to make sense as we deal with this text. So Genesis 1 ends at verse 31, but the thought isn't complete there. It goes over into chapter 2 says thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them and on the seventh day so this is continuing after going through one through six days of creation now we see on the seventh day so it continues the thought of the creation and then god's rest it says on the seventh day god finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done so god blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it god rested from all his work that he had done in creation now, verse 4, so now, so chapter 1, going into chapter 2, verse 4, is not a, a, a timeline of events. Chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, completed one thought. So verse 4 begins another thought, and it's going to something else. And so this is where it starts off. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So Genesis 1 was not talking about generations. He's saying a day. On the first day, this was done. The second day was done. The third day, so on and so forth. But verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land. So verse 4 starts a whole new thought and it's going to something different and let us know we're going to get like a very specific look at God's creation here. So chapter 1 so chapter 2, verse 3 gave us a very generalized look at the creation account. And then God's rest on the seventh day. But verse 4 is going to give us like this magnifying glass into something different. We're going to get a closer look at what's going on. Mainly the focus being man. All right. So it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When? No bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. So no, not some, not partial, but no small plant, no bush was yet in the land. So in the context of the of the gentleman who wrote the article, if this was talking about, oh, well, just not garden plants, just not you know, garden and vegetation. Well, it says no bush. It says no small plant of the field had sprung up yet for the lord god had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground so yeah so there's nobody to till the ground but we're talking about till the ground is it just gardening i mean what's is it just gardening we're talking about tilling the ground i mean is it just having upkeep the, the man is to work no man to work the ground and a mist 
was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then it says, then. So when you have the word then there, now we have a sequence of events. This is not talking about, um, you know, he had not called, he caused, what it says? Uh, no man to work the ground. It says, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So this happened, the watering the ground happened before man was formed. Like this is a sequence of events. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, all this was in a day. Now, how many minutes, how many hours, we don't know how long it took for to, form, to form man. But uh, the word doesn't tell us. But we see there's a sequence of events. We start off in verse 5. There's no bush of the field was yet in the land. No, not some but none. None was yet in the land. No small plant of the field had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. So we see that. All right. But then while there's no bush, while there's no small plant, man was created here. It's created before that. And it says, the Lord God made it spring up. Oh, I'm sorry. He breathed breath into his nostrils and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So now we see God planted a garden. So after forming the man, God does plant a garden. But what do we say after verse 9? And out of the ground. So not before the man was created, that out of the ground happened. But after God formed the man, after God placed the man in the garden, God says, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, God could have caused all these trees to sprout up at the same time he planted in the garden. That's completely plausible. I mean, that could be. But it still would be sure that man was created before the plant sprouted up. Either one. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God has sprung up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. So now... We see out of the ground, God, the Lord God, may spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Well, what was what did chapter one say concerning plants and what it say about trees? It said on the third day, the trees, all fruit trees, all fruit trees, not some, all fruit trees, each after their kind. Let's read that one more time in chapter one. Bear me real quick. I'm sorry, this you know kind of boring. I'm sorry. I want you to see this. This is not often taught in churches that man was created on the third day, that the first man, Adam, was created on the third day. So, verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each, each according to its kind, each one according to its kind. And then it said, it happened. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So that would include that on the third day, the tree of knowledge and good and evil was created on the third day. It didn't, it didn't happen to sprout up after he made man on the sixth day and God just sprout up a tree. It was there already. It was there already. 
it made sense because God gave the commandment to Adam not to eat of this tree. And it was till after Eve was formed that he would disobey that command, which will happen days later, which we're going to look at. We could look at. But let's look at this word vegetation real quick. Just deal with the argument. We're looking at, we're looking at, is there a different word for vegetation here in the chapter two? And would that change the context? Or would that change the meaning of what's going on? So, vegetation. Earth brought forth vegetation. That's what we want to look at when it was brought up. So the third day, this was brought up vegetation. That word. It says sprout. It's a green tender herb. I can't pronounce that. I want to say the deche. Um, but it says, so this is used for brought forth. And we got here, yeah, from the earth. So from earth, sprouted. Station, Eshe, Eseb. I can't pronounce Hebrew. I can't, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Meaning to glisten, to be green, grass, or any tender shoot, grass, herb. Any of that. So then we got, then we go into plants yielding food. Yeah, so this next word means plants. Word right here. This word is for vegetation. All right. SL. Remember that. So now we got to look at it. this. The number is H6212. All right. So we're going to go to chapter two real quick. So we're going to look at that. Thank y'all for bearing with me. All right, so. Now, there is a different word for no bush of the field that's yet in the land and no small plant of the field, right? So we see that. But look here. Six one H six two one two. SL. So, it reads the same way. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant was yet in the field, or the field had yet sprouted up. So, here, that's bush, but no bush, but the field had yet uh, to exist. So that's, that's even, that's even clear. This word here, to exist, Said no, no bush of the field had yet existed. <laughs> uh, in the earth or land, and it says, uh, in the field. Okay, yeah, so that was used. So when it comes to uh, small plant, S7 is used. So it says, we already have at the top here, no bush of the earth existed and no small plant. That's the same word that's used. So that's the point. The same word is used in chapter 2. S7. Is used the same word is used for vegetation in chapter one. The same word used here for small plant in chapter two, and it says no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. None. 
Then we see a mist that goes up from the garden in chapter 2, verse 6. And then the Lord God formed the man from the dust and breathed into his nostrils. And then verse 8, we don't we just see God just the focus here is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then the rivers. So God doesn't go into a whole thing here or it's to say oh I'm sorry. So God doesn't make a point here to go into a whole other account of day three about every plant after their kind and so on and so forth. You should already know from chapter one that these things happened on the third day. And so the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, as verse 8. Verse 9 says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So that will still be each after its kind, as chapter 1 names. And so we see here, the same word is used. And it, and it's dealing with different things. One says vegetation in chapter one. The other one says no small plant. A small plant would still count to be vegetation, you know. And so that's, it'll mean the same thing. And so either way, man was formed out of the dust of the ground before any plants sprouted up, any plants or trees sprouted up. Okay, so man was created on the third day. So that's that. Now, um. If you want to have more discussion on that, I'm welcome to it, open to it. Please do. Uh, I don't think there's something that uh, we will have to divide over. Um, I don't think it's going to change your theology. Uh, but I do think it's interesting uh, to learn how to read the scriptures and knowing uh, how to read it as far as not knowing that everything is not based off a, a linear timeline. You know, you actually have to read it in this context to see what's really going on. So chapter one to chapter 2 verse 3 ends a thought and chapter 2 verse 4 starts a new thought just bringing us deeper into what's going on at that moment the focus being on the man and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and what will happen later on and so in all the rest of the creation when when um, animals will be formed the creation of eve and so on and so forth so all that was a focus in chapter 2 before the fall so that's important all right so that's that the next one i want to look at real quick and let me check right here. All right, so now that we looked at that, let's let's turn our attention to Matthew 28. We're going to look at uh, the Great Commission, the words of Jesus. Um, this has always come up in conversations, dealing with discussions about the triune nature of God. Always, always, always. This is like the go-to verse. It's all of a misunderstanding of one word. And we're going to look at it. So uh, Matthew 28, we turn to it there. All right, so um, here, looking at verse 19. These are the words of Jesus. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The word that always gets misunderstood is name. Baptizing them in the name. This argument comes up concerning the um, the nature of God. It comes up when you're dealing with those who believe that you have to baptize in the name of Jesus and not the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they use the um, scriptures in Acts concerning well the apostles. They baptize in the name of Jesus. And um, even though Jesus simply said here, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So either they're not, either they've been disobedient or, you know, or baptizing in the name of Jesus is the correct way. And if you do it any other way, it's wrong, so so forth. So you have different arguments that come 
just from the misunderstanding of the word name. I mean, yes, and along that misunderstanding of the nature of God, misunderstanding of uh, the purpose of Jesus coming in the flesh, purpose of the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth, like, yes, along that lines is a whole lot of other things that people have misunderstood, but when it concerns their argument, it's come from a misunderstanding of the word name, okay? Now, the word name here in the Greek, it is, I don't know, I even pronounced that right, here, see it there, on, Anoma, Anoma. And so, it does mean that for presumed derivative of the base, a name, literally or figuratively, authority, character, called, or uses a surname. So, this is used, like, like as you see here, in the KJV alone, it comes out as 229 times as used in the Greek. All right, from, and so just in the New Testament. So now this word does mean name. Like it, this word is used when it concerning somebody's name. It is used. So like I'm not just I'm not trying to go all the places that is used. But if you look at where the angel comes and tell Mary that you shall name your son Jesus, that word name is the same word in the Greek, anima. Now, what is the difference between in that particular scripture where the angel tells Mary what the name of her child should be and this text where Jesus says baptized in the name of the difference is the context. Remember what I said earlier, words mean what they mean in their context, in their context. All right. So there are other places as well, just like when they say they baptize Jesus, I mean, they baptize people in the name of Jesus. And so on and so forth. I mean, it's used in multiple ways like that. Matter of fact, an interesting thing is Isaiah 9 6, where we see how uh this this uh Messiah he shall be named. He shall be named, his name shall be a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, so on and so forth. You see that there, that same word in the Greek Septuagint is anima. Same word. The name, his name shall be, and that word there is not saying a literal name, like that's the name of the Messiah. That's not what Isaiah 9, 6 is saying. It's not trying to communicate that to us. Based off the definition, authority or character, literally or figuratively. So when it concerning the Messiah, that Isaiah 9, 6 talks about to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and this, this son's name shall be called. You know, mighty God, so on and so forth. Like when we see that, it's not speaking of this is his literal name, but this is a characteristic. He will, he is mighty God, he is everlasting Father, he is Prince of Peace. This is his characteristics. This is the this are things about him that are true. Same thing here when we look at Genesis, not Genesis. I'm still stuck on earlier. The same thing that we look at when we look at Matthew 19. No, You'll talk about I'll be messing up. Uh, let me slow down. The same thing we talk about Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where it says baptizing them in the name of the Father. It's not talking about a literal his literal name or these are the names, but it's talking about authority, character. So this one in particular is authority, the authority of. And so the context is simply that baptize them in the name of 
the Father, name of the Son, and name of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Granville Sharps construction lets us know that because that definite article is between, uh, is always in front of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's already proof there within the Greek that we're talking about three separate persons. They're not all one person. You know, this name is not talking about all one person, but three separate persons, but the name of all three, the authority of all three persons. This is clear within this text. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to get into a big conversation about the Trinity right now, but that's that just goes to show it doesn't it, it all makes sense when you see the scripture says in the authority of baptize them in the authority of the Father and of the Son. So the Father has authority, the Son has authority, and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has authority. So when you see the um, the apostles baptizing in the name of Jesus, they they're still saying the same thing. Baptize them in the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. It's the same thing. So it's no it's no confusion and it's no contradiction. It's the same, all right? But that's that's always misunderstood. But this is why it's important to understand the underlying Hebrew or Greek concerning the Old Testament and New Testament. Always important. And uh, one thing to know, the Old Testament was uh, translated into Greek before Jesus was born. The Greek Septuagint existed already. The scribes, the Pharisees, and all those people Already had the Greek Septuagint before Jesus arrived on the scene in the virgin birth. Already. And so they would have been familiar with these words. And Jesus would have read from the Greek Septuagint as well. And so he would understand these things as well. When he looked at Isaiah 9, 6, he studied, he studied those scriptures as well. He was, he was in the synagogues preaching and teaching. So he would know as well that Isaiah 9, 6 was not only speaking of him. But it's talking about his his authority, his character shall be everlasting God. I mean, I mean, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, so on and so forth. So it's important. So I just want to use those um texts to show you the importance of uh, going into the underlying Hebrew and Greek, why that's important and why it matters. Um, I had an interesting conversation with a gentleman um yesterday, matter of fact, who. He tried to argue this verse with me, and I asked him about the underlying Hebrew or Greek. He said to me, he was honest, you know, I, I don't look into that. I really never looked into it, you know, didn't have an interest to. But that was the basis of his confusion. And so once I showed that to him concerning the word name, he'd never heard that before. That was due to him. So he had to go back and look at it, you know, which I hope he did. You know, that's important. You know, say, so don't, 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 don't sleep on the Hebrew and Greek. <laughs> don't count it out. Don't make it like it's not important. It's very important. You know, say so it can cause it can help uh keep a lot of confusion at bay if we just be aware of these things. Now, I'm be honest. I haven't taken a, a course in Greek, a course in Hebrew. I haven't. You know what I'm saying? But there's enough information online. Um uh, there's lexicons, there's dictionaries. Uh, you know, that can help you in these areas. You can see the differences in the words depending on if it's uh, with, with mood is sin, with context is sin, and all this kind of stuff. You'll be able to see that and you can learn that. You just take the time. Um, if it's that important to you, you'll do it. So, um, yeah, but that's that. So, this is this is, this is very short. I try to be short. I know I kind of went, I may have went longer than I wanted to. So, I apologize for that. 
But I wanted to show you how when it comes to studying the scriptures, it is important to be aware and try to get familiar with the underlying Hebrew and Greek text. The Bible was originally written in three main languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So, and uh, there are some portions in Esther that are, are written, actually written in Aramaic and some portions in, in Daniel that are written in Aramaic and not Hebrew. You know, especially dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, um, his language, uh, his dialogue was actually written in um, Aramaic. And so those are things to keep in mind. So it's important to go back into those texts sometimes and be able to look at it. Now, I'm not discrediting the English translations. The English translations are good. They are reliable and are trustworthy. You know, but when it concerns texts like this, it does make sense to look at the underlying Greek. All right, Particle Son by Grace asks, what version of the Bible you find the closest? He says, I like the ESV and the NASB. Um, me personally, I love the NASB. Um, from what I've saw and what I've heard is that the NASB is closest to the original languages as far as the translation goes. Um, the ESV is good. I say I always tell people uh, when you're dealing with a Bible, you want to go for the word for word translations. So stay away from the paragraphs and stay away from the ones that kind of like paraphrase, you know, the um, message Bible and so on and so forth. A particle Son by Grace says, I was raised KJV and was told you go to hell if you don't use it. Uh, I have to remind them it's a version. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Uh, one thing that was interesting when I was dealing with a uh, KJV, uh, KJV only, is that the uh, the KJV wasn't the first uh, authorized English version. It was actually the Great Bible. The Great Bible was the first English authorized version, and so they try to use that as like a credibility for the KJV. It's like, oh, well, it was the first authorized version, so therefore, this is the one God put His stamp on to be used, and we shouldn't change. But no, the Great Bible was the first authorized version. Now, you find the Great Bible. Look up the Great Bible and look at how it read. Man, I'm so glad the KJV came in. So the KJV was actually a modern translation from the Great Bible. Who would have known? <laughs> yeah, man. I, and uh, no, fortunately, I never was raised to be KJV only. Um, uh, my family did have KJV Bibles. And so, um, but it was never a thing where, it's, like, it was um, shunned if you looked at the um, newer translations. Matter of fact, my mom was the one who bought me the Message Bible. And I wish she would have kept that at the store. Because <laughs> I could, like, I read the Message Bible and I couldn't understand what was going on. Like, the Message Bible still made things complicated for me. Strange to say. And that's before I was a believer. Like, I wasn't even a Christian. So that's why it's important to look at the underlying Hebrew and Greek. And I hope that you would take the time to actually look at those things. And if you um, have an issue concerning the text that I've used as far as Matthew 28, 19, as um, far as the word for name, and, and also Genesis 1 and 2, if you, if you happen to agree with the article about um, word for vegetation or anything like that, or if you still disagree that man was created on the, on the third day, please uh, call in or, or email me, whatever the case may be, we can discuss it. Most definitely, I'm, I'm open to it. So let's keep that going. So thank you once again for joining me for another episode of Prescribing Truth Podcast. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Check out more Prescribed Truth on the side. And remember, in a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings.